Uh, good morning, guys. I'm so excited to be here again after uh, in this new year after some time. It's good to see all of your faces again. Uh, so let's just bow down with me for a minute. I know we just prayed, but let's pray before we go to God again. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you have made a way for us to come to you through Jesus and that Jesus is absolutely enough for us and help us today to hear from Jesus as we study his words and may you through your spirit apply it in our lives today. Give us the boldness to just deal with what we're hearing, deal with the truth and confront the truth. In Jesus name we pray, amen. You know it's said that a love for money is the root of all evil. But you and I know that money is important, right? We need money to pay our bills. We need money to put food on the table. We need money to put kids through school for education. We need money to save up for retirement. We need money for watching our favorite TV shows for Netflix and Hulu to watch sports. Hey. To be honest, we need money to run this church. We need money to fund missions globally and locally. Money is essential for us to survive. And one of the most uh, important lessons I learned about money was from my grandfather when I was about six or seven years old. I used to watch him pour over his finances in his uh, room. He would just check over and over again to make sure his income and his expenses matched. So one day he called me uh, to, his, to his room and he gave me a, a small box with some loose change in it and he made me count it up. He gave me a little notebook and he taught me how to tally my finances and something that he thought, taught me that I'd never forget is he said, what's in your hand always has to match what's on paper. What's in your hand always has to match what's on paper. The importance of reconciling your finances. And if it didn't match, if there was a mistake, then you have to fix it. You have to make it right. If there were mistakes in your finances, you have to make it right. Why? Because money is important. Which is why any organization that deals with finances during audit season works super hard to make sure their finances are in check, right? USA Today in about 2009 reported that the biggest banks in America actually make a lot of money out of its customers because they don't have a good view of their finances, mostly by overdrafting. We recognize that reconciling our finances is very important, and if there are mistakes, we need to make it right. But do you know what's more important than money? Do you know where it's so much more important if mistakes have been made that we need to reconcile? Well, most of you guess it. It is in our relationship with God. You see, in our relationship with God, when mistakes have been made, when we've sinned, more than financial reconciliation, it's so much more important to reconcile with God, to get right with God. 
Now you may be thinking, am I not already reconciled with God through Christ? Well, that is true. We are reconciled with God through Christ eternally. But today I'm talking about reconciling with God for our everyday habitual sins. The sin that you committed, or the sins that you committed last night. The sins that you committed on your way to church this morning. When we sin against God, it is our responsibility to make that right. And this, this expectation is seen throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, the very fact that they had daily sacrifices was a way for the people of God at that time to get right with God. When mistakes were made through daily sacrifices, they were able to get right with God. And in the New Testament, Jesus teaches about getting right with God in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins. It is expected of us by God that when we've made mistakes, when we've sinned in our relationship with him, it is our responsibility to get right with God. And I have a strong feeling, which we'll see today, that in our effort to get right with God, we work under a few misconceptions. And one of the best ways to get right with God is through prayer. And I know we've been studying about prayer these last few uh, weeks in Allen Bible Church. Today, we're going to look at, through our prayers, how do we get right with God? And we'll explore an answer for this in the book of Luke, chapter 18, where Jesus teaches a parable for you and me on how we can get right with God when we've messed up. And we will see this in two simple moves. First, we look at all the problems that Jesus highlights in our efforts to get right with God. Having seen these problems, Jesus will give us a solution for how we can get right with God for us to apply. So, join me in Luke chapter 18. And here in Luke chapter 18, Jesus starts by teaching his disciples a lesson on prayer. He starts by talking about the persistent widow. And soon after that, he talks about how do we get right with God through prayer. And this brings me to my first point. This is the problem that Jesus addresses that we have in our attempts to get right with God. It is to get right you and I, we can tend to ignore our sinfulness and assert our goodness. In our attempt to get right with God, you and I, we can ignore our sinfulness and assert our own goodness. Join me in, join me in Luke 18.10. And I'm reading from the NRSV translation. So, Jesus starts this parable like this. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now prayer in the temple at that time was a very common practice. There were different kinds of prayer. There were times of public prayer, which was during the offerings and festivities. And there were times of personal prayer in the temple. So the context for our passage today is most likely a time of personal prayer. And there are two characters in this parable. We have the Pharisee on one hand and we have the tax collector. And the setting for this story is in the temple. Now you and I, we know that the Pharisees were the religious elite in the society. And the tax collectors, well, they were usually despised by the Jewish society. The tax collectors, they were Jews like the Pharisee. But 
they worked for the benefit of the Roman government by collecting funds, by collecting uh, taxes. So they were looked upon as traitors. Okay, these are your native-born Texans who are rooting for the Green Bay Packers or the Eagles. <laughs> these are traitors, okay? And right at the beginning, we can see the implied contrast in the story. We're expected to see who the good guy is, who the home team is. And Luke's original audience would have immediately picked up on this the moment he said, Pharisee, tax collector in the temple, because it's, it's normal to associate the Pharisee with the temple. That's where they are, they're the religious people. And the tax collector seems to be the outsider. This is like saying, when you say a pastor and a bartender walked into a bar, you know who the outsider is, right? Or at least you should know who the outsider is. So the tax, no, tax collectors were allowed in the temple. It's, seeing a tax collector in the temple is not so weird, but they were cordoned off to a certain section uh, just in front of the Samaritans. They were looked down upon. But the fact that uh, Jesus pits, or the story has the Pharisee in the temple and the tax collector, the odds are stacked against the tax collector in this story. Now watch what Jesus says about the Pharisee in verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying this, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people, these thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this tax collector. He says, God, I thank you I'm not like the other people. But there's a lot to notice here. First of all, this prayer seems to start off like a prayer of thanksgiving. But there's something off about this prayer. Think about this. Usually when we thank someone, we thank the other person because we've received some benefit. Some benefit has been done to us or given to us, right? We don't thank someone for their own sake. Which is why when the Pharisee, he thanks God for how good he is. In other words, he's saying, God, I thank you because of how awesome I am. Almost as if, as if God ought to be indebted to him to be on his team. As if, as if God owed him something to be a Pharisee. In his attempt to get right with God, which is the context of why they are in the temple to pray, to get right with God, what the Pharisee is doing is he doesn't seem to believe that there's anything wrong with him. He ignores his sinfulness. He assumes he's already right with God by virtue of just being a Pharisee. And I think this is a problem that you and I struggle as a Christian sometimes. That just because we are born or identify as Christians, that we're okay. Just because we come to church every Sunday, that we're okay. Or just because we're born in Texas, we should be okay. Because we give money to, uh, to church, to missions, I pray every day, or just because I'm standing up here, just because I'm in seminary, you and I, in our attempt to get right with God, like the Pharisee, we can think that it's okay. We are in a good position. Of course, Jesus has reconciled us in an eternal perspective, but in our struggles with our everyday sins, with, in our habitual sins, 
we can actually start to believe that there's nothing wrong with us. And when we do little mistakes in comparison to our, our much larger, more dramatic, or hidden in the light sins, we can easily ignore confessing our little sins before God. Driving over the speed limit is not something I need to confess to God, right? It's not like I flip someone off in the name of God. Or just doing multiple takes on how that person looked as they walked past you. It's not something I need to confess. It's not like I watched porn or I cheated on my spouse. Being envious of what your neighbor or your coworker has, it's just a fleeting thought. It's not something I need to confess before God, right? And sometimes I find myself speaking these little lies to my wife, Kathy, just to avoid immediate circumstances, immediate uh, issues, and she always catches me eventually. <laughs> but over a period of time, I start to recognize that I, it's become a habit. And I completely ignore confessing that to God in my prayers. I don't think they are significant enough. Friends, one of the problems Jesus highlights in our prayers is like the Pharisee, in trying to get right with God, we can ignore our sinfulness, our little sins. And Jesus confronts you and me today with this truth. Are we hiding our sinfulness before God? Are we allowing these little sins to fester in us because we think they're insignificant? Now the other observation here in what Pharisee says is he, he seems to focus on other people's sinfulness to reinforce his goodness before God. See what he says in verse 11 again. He said, the Pharisee standing by himself was praying this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He says, I'm not like other people, or a better translation is, I'm not like the rest of humanity. I'm not like the rest of these people here. He's clearly separating himself from everybody around him. Thieves, these are swindlers of money. Rogues, these are the opposite of a model citizen, an unjust person. He says adulterers, these are those who are unfaithful to their spouse, and more importantly, unfaithful to God. And in the same breath, he says, like this tax collector. Essentially what he's saying is he's calling the tax collector a thief, a rogue, and an adulterer. And to be honest, that's how tax collectors were viewed by the general populace. So in his prayer to God, in a subtle way, the Pharisee is directing God's attention to the sinfulness of the tax collector. He's like, hey God, do you see the tax collector over there? He's a rogue, he's a thief. He's not like us, he's not part of our team, he's the outsider. And so when I was talking to Kathy about this sermon, and she phrased this beautifully, she said this, we don't just go to God in prayer to make us right before him. We go to God in prayer to make others wrong before him. Let me say that again. We don't go to God in prayer just to make us right before him. We go to God in prayer to make the other wrong before him. 
God, I can't believe Bob from our Bible study said that. He was just so malicious. Clearly, he's jealous of me. Why does Jessica always misunderstand what I'm trying to say to her? I'm saying this for her own good. She's just so hard-headed, so stubborn. Why does, why is it that, God, I pray that you would soften Billy's heart to see the truth from my perspective, which is the truth. <laughs> and, and I pray that you'd work in his heart to not just be obsessed with how I've hurt him. Friends, I think this is just so common in the church, especially when there's conflict in the church. There are two families praying to God, putting the other against God. And we can, we can go to God to just ask God to change the other person's heart. We can go to God to show how the other person is wrong before God while completely ignoring our sin in the process. Like the Pharisee, sometimes, now it's, it's not wrong to vent to God. Let me back up there. It's not wrong to vent. God gladly invites all of us to, to bring our raw emotion to him. But sometimes when we vent, when we pray, our prayers are more self-justification and other condemnation. Like the Pharisee, when you and I go to God to get right with him, we can ignore our sinfulness and avoid our sinfulness by focusing on the sins of others. Now there's one more problem that Jesus highlights in this parable. Join me in verse 12. No, the, the Pharisee speaks. He says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. Now let's stop there for a second and look at this from a different perspective. Let's look at it from a dif different angle. Let's say this was the only verse that was written about the Pharisee. He says he fasts twice a week and gives a tenth of all of his income. He's being pretty obedient, I would say. He's going above and beyond what God requires of the law. You see, people are expected to fast just one day on the Day of Atonement. He fasts twice every week, and he gives a tenth of all of his income, that is his tithe. Man, this guy is every pastor's dream. If, if I was a pastor, I would wish for everybody in my congregation to be like him, especially in his tithing. He, he's really obedient. And the reason a Pharisee did this was because, you see, the Pharisees, they recognized that they are under Roman oppression. They don't have an identity as a nation. God's glory is not in the temple as it used to be in the time of Solomon. And they put two and two together and realized this is because their ancestors were unfaithful to God. And they realized that they had lost God's favor. So to compensate for that, the Pharisees and other Jewish religious leaders, they obeyed God's law to the T, just so that they can regain God's favor, which is why they, they impose a lot of these rules and regulations on the people. Because if the people disobeyed, then that would amount to the whole nation of Israel being out of favor with God, which is why the Pharisees were just so super obedient. But sadly, that's exactly Jesus' point. In trying to get right with God, the Pharisee asserts his goodness. In trying to get right with God, we can assert our goodness to him. 
not only do I have nothing to confess, I'm not like these other people. I'm not like the tax, not like the tax collector. I'm not a thief. I'm not a robber. I have nothing to confess. God, I don't go to pubs. I don't go to nightclubs. I go to church every day. I read my Bible every day. That should be okay, right? That should count for something, right? God, I'm doing my best to teach my kids to read the Bible every day. I've never missed a single day in my reading plan. That should account for something, right, God? Not that all of these things are wrong. Unfortunately, they don't account for our sins. Friends, I know you've heard this, but Jesus in this parable points out that you and I can be like the Pharisee in trying to wager with God, with our goodness. When I was in college, I'd just become a new believer. I was really active in youth ministry. And there was a point where I came to believe that I was more righteous than everybody around me, even my friends and my family, simply because of all the good things that I'm doing for God and which my family is not doing or my friends are not doing. And to be honest, that's a temptation I face even today. Being in seminary, being able to preach, I tend to believe that I, have, I don't have as, lo- as much as I need to ask God for forgiveness for compared to people in the world. You and I can tend to do that in our prayers, in trying to get right with God. We can ignore our sinfulness and we can try to do that by pointing to other people's flaws. And we can also assert our goodness. We can wager with God, with the good that we've done. So these are some of the problems that Jesus brings out in this parable. And if these are the problems that we have, and if we can identify with them, look at who this parable is addressed to in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. If we can identify with these problems, then Jesus is essentially addressing this parable to you and me today. So if these are the problems, what is the solution? How can you and I get right with God? And, and this brings me to the big idea of the sermon. If there's one thing I need you to hear today, it's this. To get right with God, Get real with God. To get right with God, get real with God. Shoot straight with him. Be honest with him. Let's continue the story in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Observe the differences in body language between the Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector stood far away. He would not even lift up his eyes to God. He was beating his chest. It's a continuous iterative action, repeatedly beating his chest. And here is a person who's supposed to be the worst to society. This is the away team. This is the outsider. This is the struggling addict. This is the repeat offender. This is the person you and I would be uncomfortable to sit next to if they came to church. And in the tax collector, we see a picture of someone who has nothing to bring to the table to get right with God. Here is someone who gets real with God. 
He acknowledges his sinfulness. He recognizes who he is, and he, just, he knows he has, he's got nothing to bring, nothing to account for his wickedness. And look at how little he speaks in comparison to the Pharisee. All he says is, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And sometimes our translations don't bring this out clear enough. But he's saying he's just not any old sinner. He is the sinner. He is the chief of all sinners. He's the, the greatest sinner there ever was. And like Paul, who said something similar to this, this is just an honest, open confession of one's own sinfulness. He pleads for God to be merciful. He's wronged God's standards and knows that he needs to get right with God. And he realizes there's nothing he can do in his power. And he seeks forgiveness. And what is Jesus' assessment of this person? Verse 14. I tell you, this man, speaking of the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Exalted. The tax collector is the one who was justified. Now, the word justified is not justification in terms of your salvation or your eternal perspective. This is justified simply as being right with God. And it was the tax collector of the Pharisee, the underdog, who was set right with God. And, friends, that is the solution. To get right with God is to get real with God, to just be honest with him. Because in God's economy, all who exalt themselves will be humbled. We can try as much as we want to try to exalt ourselves, but that is almost a promise. God will humble us if we try to exalt ourselves. And it's very important for us to know that Jesus is not calling us to be apologetic just for the sake of being apologetic. He doesn't want us to be humble with the intention that we will be exalted later on in the future. No, this is just coming to God in all honesty. And sure enough, if we confess and even just ask the Spirit to help us see our weaknesses, the Spirit, God has promised, will help us, will reveal to us our sins. So in our study about prayer, Jesus teaches us that to get right with God, all we have to do, again, is just be honest and acknowledge our sins before him. No beating around the bush. It's saying, it's saying, God, I messed up yet again. That is, I, I know there's nothing I can do to overcome this sin that I'm struggling with. Will you help me? It's saying, God, I know the others may be at fault, but before that, can you help me see first where I am at fault in this situation? It's saying, God, my wife has completely misunderstood my intentions, but will you first help me see how I'm causing an issue here? Can you help me see my sin in this conflict between us? And this is exactly what the gospel is. We don't get right with God with our goodness like the Pharisee, but we get right with God by being like the tax collector, by just being honest with him, by honestly evaluating our sinfulness and coming to God and asking for mercy. And God, with his arms open wide, he welcomes us to come into his presence. 
and to receive the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. And that's available for you and me today to just go to him in honesty. And in our culture of, of being self-made, we need to recognize that our appearance, our social status, our resumes, our achievements, they mean nothing to God to account for our sins. It's, it's a heart posture that acknowledges what only God can do, what God has done in Jesus Christ for you and me today. So what can we do about this? Like the psalmist, can you and I make it a habit to go to God and ask, God, just search my heart, reveal to me the sin that is in me so that I can confess them and acknowledge them before you. What would conflict look like in the church if, if we could all just go to God, not to look at the other people's flaws, but to focus on each of our own sins first? What would families look like if, if husbands and wives could acknowledge their sins first before asserting their rightness in a conflict or in, a, in any situation? Or what would families look like if, if fathers and mothers could, could model and set an example to their children about acknowledging their own flaws and their sins before God? And friends, before you go to bed tonight, would you talk to someone? Would you talk to your spouse? Would you talk to your parent? Would you talk to your friend or to your mentor or to your pastor? Talk to them about a commitment you're going to make to incorporate this in your prayers every day. Would you do that? To get right with God, Jesus teaches us to not ignore our sinfulness and assert our goodness. To get right with God, get real with God. That's all that we have to do. And doing this is not difficult. In the next few minutes, as the worship team comes up, I want to just encourage each of us to spend a few minutes in the quietness of our own hearts. Don't pay attention to anybody next to you. It's just you and God now. Can we get real with God for just this few minutes and ask him to reveal to us our sins so we can confess that to him? Let's pray. Take a few minutes to pray. God, we come to you today with all honesty. We recognize, Master, that even if we hide things from you, our sins are plain before you. And God, help us to see these sins the way you see them. Through your Spirit, reveal to us where we need to confess. And God, give us the boldness, the courage to be honest before you your spirit causes to want to make things right with you when we sin. Thank you, God, for the truth that we have in Scripture. I pray that you'd once again give us the boldness to apply this in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.